Good evening. Exodus chapter 2, if you would. I want to start out by saying thank you, uh, because I'm afraid if I don't do it publicly that I'll miss somebody. I know some of you uh, ran my family back and forth to the airport and, and all of that, and um, I hugely appreciate that. I kind of felt actually bad about um, as much as you guys did for our family. So, so thank you to every one of you that either fed or fellowshiped or uh, gave my family a place to sleep or took them to an airport or picked them up or whatever else. I, I hugely appreciate that. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Exodus chapter 2, if you would. We're going to jump into uh, Moses' life here. And we'll begin reading in verse number 11. Exodus 2 in verse number 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now pause if you would just real quickly. I know this is a very simple point, and yet it's a dramatically important point in the Word of God. And that would be, notice that Moses looked this way, notice that he looked that way, and um, notice what way he didn't look, right? He never looked up, he never prayed about it, right? In his youthful zeal, I think we can say this confidently, in his youthful zeal, uh, he runs ahead of the Lord's timing. Notice that his heart was right. I'm trying to highlight these things because you'll see these things over and over amongst the people of God. You'll, you'll see a young man, I'll speak from my own life and experience, whose heart is right, right? And the next 20 years will show that his heart is right. And yet, and yet he's, he's just urging, right? Longing, as my dad would say, chomping at the bit to run ahead of the Lord's timing. And so that's what you see here. He looks this way. He looks that way. You think of Joshua and the Gibeonites. The Scripture specifically records there that he did not pray, right? Well, here it's kind of an argument by absence, but it, but it, does, um, it does clearly show that he looks this way, that way. He does not look up. He does not pray. He kills the Egyptian in his youthful zeal. Verse number 13. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Father, we just want to pause again and ask you for your help and blessing tonight. Lord, I thank you for those that that both can be here tonight. I'm sure there's those that would like to be here that are not able. Uh, I thank you especially for those that want to be here tonight. Uh, They they make a choice uh, to sacrifice a Friday night and to come and to listen to God's Word. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord tonight that you would bless each one of them that are here. You know the needs that are in this room. You are such an incredibly good-hearted God. We do not have to try to twist your arm to be willing to pour blessing out on your people tonight. Father, whatever kind of blessing is needed, that's what we ask for. Please take your word and apply it to every heart and please glorify your Son 
and show us, um, show us the way forward, whatever that is, Lord God. We, we um, are just thrilled to know a God like you. And so we pray that you would please uh, use this time. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen. If you want to jot down a title, um, this could be titled Lessons of the Desert. And that's just where we've gotten in our reading, right? So, so Moses is raised with all the privileges in the world. He sides with the Hebrews instead of the Egyptians. He kills the Egyptian in his youthful zeal. Pharaoh wants to kill him. You might file that away in the back of your mind. Someone else wants to kill Moses in just a little later as we keep going through Moses' life, right? So Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. And then Moses flees for his life. And that's where we pick this up. He is now on, in the desert, sat down by a well. Now, let's think this through just, just very briefly. You've heard, I hope, many, many times, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life becoming something, the middle 40 years of his life becoming nothing, and then the last 40 years of his life being incredibly used of God. It's, a, it's a really a beautiful pattern. Um, Moses was not only raised uh, in the line of the Pharaoh, right, adopted into the family as, the Pharaoh's, as Pharaoh's daughter's child, so in the line of the Pharaoh, but he was also, um, according to history, this isn't, this isn't biblical, uh, it's not straight out of the Bible, but according to historians, he was um, a fabulously famous military conqueror. Uh, Ethiopia invaded Egypt at one point, and the reigning general at the time went out to fight against Ethiopia and lost. And so he came with his, with his shoulders all hunched over, uh, in his tail between his legs, back into Egypt, they cast lots according to, to according to history. This is like Josephus, and and then Moses. The lots fell to Moses. Moses led the army out and was victorious. And so to say Moses was famous at this point in his life would be a massive understatement. Uh, Moses would be like Madonna famous. Forgive the illustration. Uh, like President Obama famous, um, like Tim Tebow famous, if you like that better. You know, whoever, whoever. But he would have been fabulously famous. Not only, not only rich, not only educated, not only in the line of the Pharaoh, but, but known all over Egypt. So he goes from that, a fabulously famous life with every privilege, to um, sitting on the, on the outskirts of the desert by a well. Now, I know you, it's not a picture book, right? But as I read through these, these stories, I can't help but picture Moses. And I just picture him like this, right? And so here he is in the desert thinking, how on earth did I ever end up here? And he's going to learn these incredible lessons. Um, Acts chapter 7, looking back on what we've just read, uh, it, it gives this little commentary. I love it when the Scripture does that. It gives this little commentary. He supposed that his people would understand. Do you remember that little phrase? Moses thought that the Hebrew people would understand, and they didn't understand. So here's Moses. Um, Pharaoh wanted to kill him. The Hebrew people didn't understand that he was willing in his heart to give up everything and side with them. Have you ever been hurt by God's people? No. I certainly... Well, that's good. I, I certainly... Um, I don't want to emphasize this overly, but one thing I pray for young people these days when they go on mission trips is that God's people won't hurt them. 
I, I've seen enough of it that I, I pray that, that the Lord will protect them from that sort of thing. Well, this is a good biblical illustration of, of God's people. Moses supposed that they would understand, but they didn't understand. So here he is hunched over by a well, hated by Pharaoh, hated by God's people. And point number one, lesson number one of the desert is uh, he's going to learn to be a servant. Now let's read it. We haven't actually read it yet. Verses 16 and 17. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So this is, of course, just step number one that's going to lead to 40 years of this lesson. But you do see the the baby stages, the infant stages here of Moses going from being what everything we described in Egypt to now drawing water and defending the daughters of shepherds so that their sheep could, could have something to drink. He's going to learn to be a servant. For the next 40 years, he's going to learn to be a servant. I can't read through the life of Moses without appreciating this. Um, I grew up in the biggest Bible church in Topeka, Kansas, and I loved it. Um, I, I thought it was like heaven on earth. I mean, I just loved it. Uh, I fell in love with serving the Lord uh, when I was 15 years old, and I set my mind to serve the Lord with the rest of my life. And my only framework for thinking at that point was you go to Bible college, you go to seminary. Um, I kind of had in my head maybe being a professor, but really I just wanted to be a pastor, um, not a family pastor, not a youth pastor. Um, I was just going to go for being one of those preaching pastors. And um, so that's what was in my head. And um, that's what I set my face, that's what I set my face to do. Uh, I went off to Bible college. I had four incredible years. Um, I was the furthest thing from a Bible student. I wasn't even a Bible reader in my high school years. I know that that's horrifically less than ideal. I'm thankful my kids are growing up very different than that. But that's the reality, right? I was serious about serving the Lord, barely ever picked up my Bible. I know it doesn't make sense, but that was the truth. So I had four great years of serving the Lord. I discovered God's church in the Word of God. I discovered God's... um, I'm going to leave a lot of details out. My convictions changed. My heart never changed. Uh, I came out of Bible college, same heart that I had had since I was 15 years old, but now my direction was drastically different. So I went home with my wife. Pretty soon I had my wife and a little bitty baby and a little sign that said, we'll work for food. And I looked for anything in Topeka, Kansas that I could find to to provide for my family. I had spent my whole life saying, I, I don't ever want to be in sales. My father was a salesman. My oldest brother was a salesman. They sold everything you can imagine. Knives and vacuum cleaners and insurance and long distance. And I could keep going. Amway. I mean, they sold everything you could imagine. And I said all my life, I do not want to be a salesman. So here I am wanting to serve the Lord. Um, that was my heart. Out of Bible college, decided not to go to seminary. Came into fellowship in the 15-person assembly in Topeka, Kansas. The only thing... I'm sure I've told you this part of this story at least before. The only thing I could find was sales. Uh, for five weeks, I was a failed cemetery plot salesman. Um, I did my best to sell cemetery plots for five weeks. I never sold one cemetery plot. Um, I worked hard, by the way. I made twice as many phone calls as every other salesman. I went in early. I, I worked late. Um, I wanted to provide for my family. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be a man. Um, 
it was actually a very difficult time. Uh, I, I stopped doing that. Um, didn't really have much of a choice. Um, but I stopped doing that. And then before long, I had a different kind of sales. And for my 20s, and this is my whole point, for my 20s, I was in sales. Now, I won't tell you the story tonight, but the Lord actually did an obvious miracle on my first day of this job, this second job that I had for my 20s. And I know that he did that because he was reassuring me that this is where I have you for now. And so when I read Moses' life, that he ran ahead of God's timing, I think, "Mm mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to do that every month or every week or every couple months. I said to my friends numerous times, I just, I just don't want to spend my life in sales. I want to spend my life doing something I'm passionate about. And they would look at me and say, are you passionate about feeding your family? And I would say, well, I suppose I should be, right? But boy, um, my dad, he had three boys, and he used to say that we were like wild horses, and it was hard to get us to take the bit. That's the way he, t- that's the way he talked to us. If, if you've raised boys, you probably understand the illustration. And um, I would just want to run ahead. And, and then the Lord would remind me, this is where I put you. And then a month later, I would run, want so badly to run ahead. And, and just try to imagine Moses, the, the man who is now 40 years old. He's my age, basically. I'm, I'll be 40 in December. So he's my age. He's grown up with incredible prestige and privilege and fame. And now he's in a desert. He finds himself in a desert. And it's going to take him 40 years of being in a desert to learn to be a servant. It really is an incredible lesson. I know it's not the first time you've heard it, but it is so important um, to be reminded of this principle. Jesus Christ is the most beautiful servant that the world has ever seen. You read his life, Jesus Christ's life, and you see a man who always looked for the way down. Uh, The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And he embodied that so incredibly beautifully. If you want to live a successful life, I hope you do. Of course, God's definition of a successful life. If you, want to, if you want to stand with great joy at the judgment seat of Christ someday, and I hope you do, that's biblical. Boy, you have, to, you have to follow the example of Christ and the example of how God works in, in Moses' life. So if you find yourself in the desert today, um, can I please just encourage you to embrace it. Let the Lord use it in your life. Maybe you're in a desert financially, uh, vocationally, um, you know, I, I, I hope that this isn't true for anybody, but I meet plenty of people that feel like they're in a desert in their assembly. Maybe they're just their place, like they don't quite know where they fit in the assembly. Um, in your family, sometimes you stand for the right thing and you end up in a desert in your family. So if you find yourself in a desert today, then then you're like Moses. And please, just embrace it. Let the Lord use it in your life. So he's going to learn over the next 40 years to be a servant. Now, let's keep going. Same point, but let's keep going with our story. Verse 18. When they came to rule their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. She bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom. 
For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. So, long story short now, the famous man of, of Egypt is, is in the desert watering sheep. He marries a shepherd's daughter, marries into the family business. They're having little shepherd babies, right? Um, have you ever looked at the, the word Gershom? I hope you have, right? It means foreigner. And so you can just see it. I, to me, this story oozes, um, this is not how I expected life to go. How on earth did we ever, did we ever end up here? Uh, I am not suited for this profession. This is not what I was trained to do. Right? He would have been raised, of course, to abhor sheep, shepherds, the whole lifestyle. And, and yet, here he is. Um, I can't read through this story without thinking of Luke 16. He who is faithful in little is faithful in much. Right? It shows our heart. Boy, that's a verse the Lord has used in my life for decades. It shows your heart. What are you willing to be faithful to? Um, what are you willing to give up faithfulness for? It, it, shows, it shows your heart. So Moses, over 40 years, is going to learn to watch sheep in the desert. And one person very, very aptly um, noticed that he never really did get out of the desert, did he? Uh, he went back to Egypt. He brought a different kind of sheep back out in the desert. And then there he was the rest of his life. And so the skills that he would use for the rest of his life, the faithfulness that he would need for the rest of his life, that was developed over 40 years in the desert. Schaefer put it this way, There are no big people and no little people as far as God is concerned. Only consecrated and unconsecrated people. Do you believe that? I hope you do. I think that's incredibly important. I'll read that one more time. There are no big people and no little people as far as God is concerned. Only consecrated and unconsecrated people. I know, I know that there are going to be a number of things that are going to be so shocking at the judgment seat of Christ or as we walk away from the judgment seat of Christ. Um, the people that walk away with an incredible reward, right? That, that from a human perspective would have been considered little people. But in God's eyes, they were faithful. They loved Him. They were zealous. They poured out their lives for Him. That's going to be so delightful to see that. And I think we'll probably be shocked the other way too. People that we would look at and say, well, that, that is a big person in the kingdom of God. And then, and then you know, see God's evaluation. Um, I love it that, that the Lord, He's looking for faithfulness. So, point of application for point number one. Are you in the desert? If you are, then I would like to encourage you in two ways. Submit to the hand of God. The hand of God was all over Moses being in the desert right here. So submit to the hand of God in His direction in your life and serve the Lord in the desert. Serve the Lord in the desert. So submit and serve. I'd like to encourage everybody, if you haven't done it already, maybe you'll do it again, to read biographies about Dwight Moody. I've read two of them this last year. Right now I'm reading a book um, on the joy of answered prayer by Dwight Moody. I've just hugely appreciated these. Um, the one I'll throw out there as far as a recommendation is by A.P. Fitt. And um, it is such a joy. You know Moody was a shoe salesman before he was the Moody that we all love and that we all hear about? Uh, in Boston, he became a shoe salesman. And he was as zealous about shoes and as diligent about shoes that eventually he was about souls. But he learned how to meet people, how to reach people. The other salesmen would come to work 
and they would sit there and wait for someone to come in in the office, and then they would try to sell them shoes. That's what salesmen do, right? Moody would work and work and work and get everything correct and right, and then he would go out onto the street, literally, and find people and convince them to come in, and then he would sell them shoes. It's the same exact thing he did with his Sunday school program in Chicago all those years later. He just mirrors the life of Moses here. So, so if, you are, if you're in a desert, please be encouraged. It's not your vocation that impresses God. It's your character that impresses the Lord. It's not what you do that impresses the Lord, but it's why you do what you do and how you do what you do that impresses the Lord or, or doesn't impress the Lord. So, point number one, he learned to be a servant. Anybody and everybody that's going to be greatly used of God has to learn that lesson. If you're anything like me, then you have to be reminded of this Christ-like principle over and over again because there's such a tendency in the human heart to, to look up the ladder and to want to climb the ladder, right? Like corporate America. Okay, point number two in my outline. Lesson number two of the desert is, I'll go ahead and give it to you. He learned to trust. He learned to trust the Lord. And let's read it. Chapter 2 and verse number 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So here Moses is for 14,600 days in the desert. Um, I can hardly take this in. Uh, December 12th, I will have been alive for 14,600 days. I'm repeating it. Hopefully that somebody will write it down and send me a birthday card. Um, but I'm almost, I'm almost to 40 years, right? And Moses spent the whole middle part of his life, 14,600 days as, as a shepherd in the desert. And what I want you to notice is is that Moses, we have so little detail about what Moses is doing. Now, we know generally what he's doing. We have so little detail about the specifics. Imagine day after day after day, week after week, year after year, literally decade after decade, with no thought that his life was ever going to change. He's just out there in the desert. Where is God? He's on his throne in the heavens, right? And, and you can see it if you read the next verse. Um, the Lord would have appeared silent. He would have appeared still. But look at God in verse 24. So God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. I find this incredibly encouraging. If you're in a desert tonight or if you're not in a desert tonight, um, Oftentimes in that kind of a situation of life, people will look up and they'll think, where is the Lord right now? Where is the Lord? Well, please know that when God appears silent, when God appears still, according to verse 24 and 5, He is still hearing you. He is still remembering you. He is still looking upon you. And He's still acknowledging you. Isn't that encouraging? I find that incredibly, incredibly encouraging. So from this, we can learn so many great lessons that we should trust the Lord when He appears silent. We should trust the Lord when He appears still. In your times of life, uh, when you feel like you've been in a desert, like I told you, I felt that way oftentimes in my 20s. Um, when you feel that way, 
are you automatically given to faithfulness or are you given to frustration? I'm the opposite of that. Uh, what I do during those times is I get frustrated and then the Lord woos me to faithfulness over and over again. Uh, if I feel like the Lord is silent, the Lord is still, then, then I start to get frustrated and the Lord reminds me of, of things just like this. So the Lord heard him. Um, he's not a deaf God. We have incredible access to, to a wonderful God. Um, talk, talk to Him. He remembers. He doesn't forget. He knows your works. He knows your name. Your name is written in heaven. He looks upon your circumstances with compassion. With to feel, right? Compassion. He feels what His people feel. And then He acknowledges. He doesn't just see it, but He acknowledges what's going on. So it's easier to trust the Lord when the bush is burning, right? I hope you can think of your own stories where the bush is burning in your life and you see the miraculous hand of God and you say, praise God, right? We all love it when the bush is burning. It's easier to trust during those times. It's easier to trust when the waters are parting, when the mountain is shaking. At those points, it's easy to rejoice in God. It's easy to trust the Lord. Um, Erwin Lutzer put it this way, Blessed is the person who does not interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. Blessed is the person who does not interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. And this one is like an arrow in my heart of conviction. It is in the desert and not in the palace that God finds the depths of our yieldedness. I'll give you a second to process that. It is in the desert and not in the palace that God finds the depths of our yieldedness. In my young 20s, I would say, Lord, I want to serve you. And then the Lord, by His Spirit, um, sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly, would say, okay, how about you serve me by being a salesman? And I would go, Ugh. and I'd say, Lord, I'll, I'll go anywhere for you. And then the Lord would remind me, how about you be faithful where I put you in Topeka, Kansas? And I go, Ugh. Right? What I was wrestling with was my will versus His will over and over again through my 20s. My will versus His will. I wanted my life to go a certain way. I had a certain heart. And I'll be open. My life proves that my heart was given me by God. I find that encouraging too. It wasn't like I was completely out of the will of God in my desires. My heart was given me by the living God. But the timing of it, the learning the lessons of the desert, that was all such an essential part of, of the process. So, point number two, he learned to trust. Point of application for point number two is very simple. Whatever your challenges are right now, trust the living God. Whatever your challenges are right now, again, financial, emotional, physical, spiritual, in the local assembly, in your family, whatever it is, whatever your challenges are, Moses' life reeks of this lesson. Trust the living God. Okay, last, last um, observation of the text for this time. Look at uh, chapter 3. We're going to skip ahead a little bit to verse number 10. Chapter 3 and verse 10. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh 
in that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, this is exactly where we're going to pick up and move on in the next session. And so uh, this is going to be somewhat abbreviated, but I want to say a number of things about it now, and then we'll launch off from this point in the next session as well. Um, notice that finally, Moses' heart from all those years before, um, his heart for the people of God, his zeal for the people of God, now the Lord is opening the door to Moses, right? And notice Moses' response. Mentally contrast the Moses of the desert with the Moses of the palace, right? By the way, I'll just, I'll just give it to you. Um, they both are self-will, if you'll notice. We'll expand upon this in, in the next session. But, but the Moses of the palace was self-willed and he ran ahead of, of the Lord's instruction. The Moses of the desert, now he's learned to be a servant here, right, for 40 years, but... Given the open door that he longed for before, he now does another thing that's really of self-will. I'm so happy to emphasize this. And that's pull back. He was given clear instruction by the living God. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses responds, Who am I? Now, forgive me for narrowing the audience, um, but young men, and when I say young, I mean like me and, and the next 20 years down, um, I see all over North America, young men pull back at the open doors that God gives them. Um, there is in evangelical Christianity across North America a missing generation, right? You've probably heard all about this. There's my parents' generation in evangelical Christianity left the church, quote-unquote. And so everywhere I go, all over North America, there's very frequently um, a young man that the people of God are recognizing this, this man has been made an elder by the Holy Spirit of God. Or the Lord is calling this young man into full-time service. Things like that. And then the elders will go to this person and they'll say, we would like you to pray about meeting with us. Uh, we would like you to pray about meeting with, with us with the idea of eventually the possibility of becoming a recognized elder in the assembly. And over and over and over again, I, I see these young guys do exactly what Moses does here. They pull back, right? And they think, who am I? What I want to highlight is that is not humility. It's a form of self. Running ahead of God's timing is a form of self. Absolutely. Pulling back at God's open door is also a form of self. I meet young guys that say, I never want to be an elder. You know the reasons they give? Their dads are elders. They know the, the heartaches. They know the stomach aches, literally. The lying awake at night, feeling the burden not only of yourself and your own job and your family and and, and all of that, but, but of all the sheep, the sheep that are hurting, the one that you just had to put under discipline, like all of that. Like they see that, they know that, and so they pull back. And I just want to highlight um, this. I wish I could just broadcast this around North America. That is not humility. We think of it as humility, right? Oh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm that kind of person, right? Who am I that I should serve in that way, uh, that I should do that? We think of it as humility, but it's a form of self-will. The whole key to it is the Lord's leading. Running ahead of the Lord is self. Pulling back when the Lord wants you to step forward, like obviously in this passage, that's a form of self-will as well. 
We need, and I pray for, a generation of young men that will step forward, not of their own will, not kicking down doors to serve the Lord. But when the Lord opens that door, we need that generation of young men in utter dependence and genuine biblical humility to go forward under the direction of their great God. Does this make sense? Okay. You tell me if it doesn't make sense. Okay. Um, He had to learn to obey. So, so point of application, whatever God's call, say yes. Whatever God's call, say yes. If the Lord has you in the desert watching sheep and you think this is not what I want, right? Say yes. Submit to the hand of God and serve the Lord. When the Lord does open you a door, say yes. I know you'll feel intimidated. You're right to feel intimidated, right? You're right in a sense. I'm going to trust you'll know what I mean. You're right in a sense to say, who am I? When you think that, just think to yourself, Amen. Right? Who am I? And then just say, Oh yeah, the Scripture says, Apart from you, I can do nothing. So you're right to think, I don't have this in me. You're right to think this is beyond me. The whole Christian life is beyond you. What's the key to living the Christian life? The whole thing. You cannot successfully live the Christian life without what? The Holy Spirit of God. Right? Romans chapter 8. So the whole thing is beyond us. It's just, it's so important that we embrace these things. The work of God depends upon people that will, in genuine humility, go forward under the direction, under the direction of the Lord. So, um, two letters written by the same person. Letter number one. I am a man, 31 years old and divorced. I fought the divorce bitterly. I feel bad because I have no hope for the future. Often I go home from church and cry. There is no one to hold me when I cry. No one cares. What hurts most is that I begged God for the grace to be single for His glory, to fix my eyes on Jesus, but nothing changes and I continue to fail. I am a basket case emotionally, on the verge of collapse. Something is very wrong. I'm so crippled and embittered that I can scarcely relate to others anymore. I feel I have to sit out the rest of my life in the penalty box in the desert. And then three years later, that same gentleman writes this. I'm writing to testify of the marvelous grace of God. I've learned many lessons in my desert, but God has used my pain to bring me lovingly and mercifully to Him. Just when I thought I was hopeless, God revealed my sin and my self-centeredness that was my sad condition before Him. He stripped me of my pretensions and showed me my unbelief. I learned that God cannot simply be one of my options, but I must risk my life, my soul, my sanity on Him and Him only. I must believe that He is exactly who He says He is in His Word. When I was the most bankrupt, He gave me the strength to forsake all and follow Christ. Before, my focus was always on me, my happiness, my circumstances, my emotions. Now it is on God. As a byproduct of focusing on Him, His joy is alive in me. Through tough circumstances, they still have their sting, but I can cast my care on Him and He gives me His exceedingly great and precious promises. It strikes me that these are admonitions that I have heard for years, but it is the doing of them that makes all the difference. I found victory by fully committing myself to God. Thank God I'm out of the desert and back in the game. People like that all over all over North America. So, 
three lessons that Moses learned in the desert that led to him leading an amazing life for God. Uh, lesson number one, he learned to be a servant. Lesson number two, he learned to trust the Lord. And then, I don't know if I gave this to you, but lesson number three, he learned to obey. So self-will, self-will. We haven't gotten there yet. We'll get there in this next hour, Lord willing. But he learns to, he learns to obey the Lord in dependence upon Him. So, Father, we just want to commit this first session to You. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank You that You're patient and gracious. It is not hard for me to read Moses' life and to see his shortcomings, his failures, his tendencies, and to overwhelmingly see these things in myself. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that You would help them to learn to be servants. Father, it is not our human tendency to want to be servants. There would be some in this assembly that would be beautiful examples of servants of the living God. There would be others in this assembly that would have very little desire for service. There would be some in this assembly that are carrying the bulk of the weight of the body, like the feet in my body. There would be others that just they don't think of themselves that way. Father, I pray that these things would be made real. Lord, we can so easily from these Bible stories and we can just think, well, that's, that's, that's admirable and of course that's right. But we don't always stop to think, what would the living God be asking of me tonight? So I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself that we would learn to be servants, that we would learn to trust You in the desert, that we would learn to grow in the desert, that we would submit to You and serve You in the desert. And then finally, Father, whatever You ask of my brothers and sisters in this room, I pray that they would obey You. Lord, every, I, I don't want to overstate it, but I really think every one of our tendencies, given an open door that we think is, is bigger than us, would be to say, who am I that I should go and do that? And to pull back at, at the service that You have for us. Father, I pray that You would please help us to recognize Your voice. Help us to, to understand when it's You that's opening a door. And please give the boldness, the confidence, not in ourselves, but in You, that we would go forward in utter dependence on You and be used of You in greater ways for the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, we get one chance at this, and then we go into eternity with however well we've done or poorly we've done. I earnestly pray for my brothers and sisters that You would cause them to do well. Father, please use your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen.